Uh, first question, we wanted to recap a little, or summarize something from your last session was, what did you actually say to that lady? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about, oh, is that on? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I didn't come back and say what I said to the, the pastor and the whole group. Uh, I, I wish I would have said, Pastor, what, what would you say to that? Uh, I, uh, I just re- replied, we all know what anxiety and fear is like. We've all been anxious and fearful at some time in our life, just identifying whether it's not unique. But I said, that, but there is help and hope here that you don't have to be taken captive by your anxiety and your concerns and fears, that God can help you. Uh, to love him and love others more. So there is help and hope to work through that that kind of anxiety and fear that can be crippling. And um, I, I, you know, at that point it was just kind of awkward because uh, she wasn't looking up. And I looked at the pastor and then he said some other things. But I, I said something else, but that's what I said. Afterwards, I did go to the pastor. I said, that was a pretty awkward question there uh and he goes i i'm sorry so i put you on the spot you know and i said yeah well i think the various men and ladies can minister to her on that one but um that's what i said um so do you have a a reference guide that you use for counselors at your church or a place that they can um, if they some come someone comes in with a certain counseling case like anger or lust or something, do you have a reference guide where they can kind of go and see a list of scriptures and how to deal with that? Um, yeah, there there are topical tools uh, on passages of scripture on topics. Uh, Doctor Adams has a few uh, list pages in um, what to do on Thursday. That book. Uh, there is John Cruz's book which is a topical guide uh, for uh, Christian and biblical counselors. Uh, there's one for men, one for women, one for just counseling issues. And it kind of gets you into the ballpark of here's some passages that talk about particular issues, depression, anxiety, fear, sexual lust, you know, things, pornography, things that come up. There's uh, passages, several of them usually on that and you can just look at those passages and then pick one. But you can get that off of Amazon. Let me add to that just a little bit. Um, those are useful tools, and we even have some. We're in the middle of building a counseling library, not not physically, but um, in, my, in the room formerly known as my office uh, right over there, we have um, several boxes of books, and in our new building we'll have a counseling library. We'll have some resources like that. But to add to that, uh, if you want to counsel somebody, it's helpful that you know the Word of God. It's helpful that you have sifted the Word of God through your own heart and mind. Um, and I, I would say this, if, for example, somebody has an anger problem, and you can't think of a single verse or Bible reference, um, even in the ballpark about anger, then probably better for you to do a Bible study on that. Take a week beforehand, before you look up all the easy references— um, you do the Bible study. You work through. Why have I never seen these verses before? I, I think I think Stuart would agree. You'll be a better counselor if you've sifted that through your own heart. Yeah. So it's it's some of each. Uh, yeah. On the spur of the moment, when somebody says, "Can you give me five verses on anxiety?" 
it feels like a Bible quiz. It's great to pick up something. But before you start a long-range topic, um, it ought to filter through your own heart, yeah. really. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, very helpful. Um, so we talked about the conference table, and there's a place where you're not you're going to make sure no one's you know lashing out or speaking hurtfully. How do you handle someone that is continually hurtful? They're stubborn. They're not cooperating, and they're just constantly putting down the other person. Um, I would want to explore a little bit more on the information on that one. If someone's not wanting to change and be more like Christ, uh, I'm going to want to probe more into that person's life. Uh, We're called to be followers of Christ. He's conforming us into his image. That's not like the Lord Jesus so what's really going on here? And usually I'm going to hit pride and selfishness. And uh, if it's marriage counseling, and it's, if it's the guy that's like this, uh, I'd like to meet separately with him. And um, it's not like I take him behind the shed. <laughs> but it, it, what I want to do is I want to talk to him uh, fairly... Um, admonishing him out of love for him, but rather uh, blunt uh, to him that this is not the actions and attitudes of uh, a man of God. And I'd rather say what I need to say to him and show him the references from Scripture and do it privately than in front of his wife. Because she'll if she's not that mature, she'll use any ammo at home to go after him rather than just you know pray for him. But sometimes I just need to talk with them uh, for a few sessions to confront pride and selfishness is usually what's going on. Do you think sometimes it's a little bit easier um, if it's not in front of his wife that he can kind of mm-hmm. be humble and then kind of repent of it instead of having to yeah. defend himself. Yeah, usually they're thinking, what is she thinking or going to say? Or, um, But if I want some honesty, you know, to get information, it's good to have her there yeah. so he doesn't pretend to be someone he's not at home. But Yeah, every case, you know, you want more information, but um, pride and selfishness get, you know, stubborn and harsh and yeah Steve did you have anything I totally agree <laughs> uh, another question as believers grow they notice more sin in their life how do you distinguish between someone regressing back into sin and a healthy view of their recognizing more sin in their life yeah it seems as if in scripture when a person comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior the overt sins, the actions, the overt sins are being put off and replaced with the righteous counterparts, the opposites. But the heart, the, the thoughts, the beliefs, the desires, that takes time. And often the more you keep growing, and I, I, I picked this up, I didn't even know where, but different books on holiness just the more you grow closer to a holy God, the more you're going to see your unholiness, your lack of it, but more in the inner man than overt acts. So that those are often put off and replaced 
but the heart, uh, you're just getting close to light and holiness, and it shows up. So you see Paul at the end of his life, you know, chief of sinners, and you're going, what? Uh, He just is close to a holy God. But that should take everyone to Christ. There's forgiveness, there's grace, and not wallowing around in poor me. So uh, is that helpful? It's, it's, well, we're not going to ever see ourselves sinless at all. We probably will see more of ways that we need to grow and change. But our hope's fixed on the Lord. It's not, um, I just realize it's, it's heart, it's beliefs, it's thoughts, it's desires that uh, need still more conforming to the Lord. Is that helpful? Yeah, if, um I think the key word is uh, recognizing sins. Uh, you, I, I don't think recognizing more sin is necessarily a sign of maturity. It's just a sign of having been around longer. Um, the, the maturity comes in how quickly do I respond to those sins? How quickly am I humble? Uh, I mean, you, I, I totally agree. When you're first saved, you're, you're kind of saved out of the big giant ones. Okay, I, I don't want to be a drunk anymore, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my bills on time. And you um, you don't delve quite yet into the heart issues. If you haven't read Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, that one's a, a huge help. Um, but maturity means that you're you're running more quickly to the cross. You're running more quickly to humility. Um, that when your spouse says, "Did I hear you right when you said this?" that doesn't start a four hour conversation. It starts a four minute conversation of absolutely I said that here are the heart attitudes that 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 came from that was wrong that was sinful here's my five step plan to repent any questions that you're quickly doing those things that's that's where that is but I I totally agree um that the longer you're around the more sinful you realize you are and um that's discouraging but at the same time uh, I don't know about you but don't you have from all of today don't you have a ton of hope just for yourself. I know most of you came really for you, not because you're doing counseling, but you're like, you're counseling yourselves. Um, but yeah, absolutely. The, the, the response is faster because you're in Christ. And so why wouldn't you respond faster? Great. Uh, so you mentioned that one of the things that we talked about was the tent pegs, putting, you know, making hard stances on preferential issues. How would you handle something like that if it's a regular church member dealing with maybe it's an elder or something that keeps digging in those tent pegs? Or maybe it's a child and their parent, just someone with authority over them, and they're the ones that are digging in those tent pegs. It's not a biblical issue, but it does seem like it's a hard heart. Well, yeah, and those are different. I mean, you're talking about people in authority, a parent or an elder or someone like that who's putting in tent pegs. Uh, I think with a um, with a humble spirit, anyone, even a youth, could go to that person and say, uh, either dad or you know, to one of the elders or mom, um, you're standing really strong. Uh, a conviction on this. Can you help me with what scriptures? Are you building that on your conviction? You have a little, a strong conviction, but where's the scriptures to build that conviction on? Can you can you show me what they are? Uh, I'd like to know. You know, if there aren't any, then you know, mom or dad or 
do you think you're stronger than the Bible? We don't want to exceed what's written because that's dangerous, right? No, we want too low of you. We don't want too high of you. Just don't exceed what's written. You think maybe that's just a desire of yours, but um, you've gone too far. Could it be? The questions are always better than, than judgments. So questions, what are the scriptures you're using? Because if they go, well, this passage and that passage. I had a guy confront me and said, oh, you're being conformed to this world. How? You have a, you have a TV. <laughs> I thought, wow, it's not even on. <laughs> but I'm conformed to this world. Um, he had all kinds of issues with, with problems with people in our church. He was a visitor. So we had him over for lunch, and he came in and said, you conformed to this world, you got a TV. I said, you drove over here. <laughs> I, 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 so he was a legalist, big time. And, and how I know the difference from an immature person who's struggling is they want to please Jesus. A legalist doesn't want to please Jesus. They want what they want. And they're proud and arrogant and unteachable, and they're divisive. So a, a, a weak brother in Christ is going to say, I, I, I don't want to eat meat offered to idols. I, I don't want to displease the Lord. You know, can you help me? I'm sure Paul had a Bible study with him. So kind of, there's people who drive those stakes in the ground with strong convictions when there's no scripture to back it up. That's just more their own desires that have really become lodged and we've all dealt with people like that maybe ourselves we've had some like that but Steve, when you're asking the question the first thing i thought of was the apostle paul um on trial and and saying some really direct things to the high priest he didn't know it was the high priest and the servant of the high priest said uh, he he slapped him and said you're speaking to the high priest and Paul not only apologized and repented, he quoted scripture as to why he was in sin. He was confronted by an unbeliever, and he was immediately humble. He didn't say, well, I need to go do some biblical counseling homework on this for a week, it, right on the moment. So I would have to say, first of all, uh, most of us at some level are in a position of authority. We've talked about this before. If you're a parent, you always let your kids have a say they get to say, why are you doing this? And you should be able to explain why. Um, <clears throat> as an elder, uh, some of the best counsel I have ever received has been from a church member who has the courage to say, I know you're my pastor, but could I speak into your life? Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that because I, I worry about anybody in authority who can't receive that. Mm -hmm. um, th then, they're, then they're power hungry. And, and they don't want to grow. Uh, I fall back on First Timothy 4.15, let your progress be evident to all. And that's to, to a leader. So um, I, I think Matthew 18 applies to all of us. You go to a leader and you ask that, that, what a great question. Could you support with Scripture why you're so, you've got those tent pegs, which is a great picture. I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And they can't do it and even get angry at you for daring to ask the question. Matthew 18, bring somebody else. And go say, could you please repeat your answer with these witnesses here? Because I'm not understanding. It sounds to me like you're just asserting your authority over me without a scriptural reason. And, and I would like to know why. So I, I, that's reasonable to do. I, I was admonished by, um, it was someone we were counseling. Another pastor and I were counseling this couple. And we wanted 
the wife uh, to start attending the same service with her husband. Uh, he's, he, they were trying to work their marriage together, and he was coming to the one service, she was coming to the other. And the other pastor and I said, we need to, they need to go to the same service. Uh, so we said to her, we want you to attend the same service with your husband. Well, she just had a hard time about where her husband was at. Uh, so she went around to another elder, and you'd know his name if I said who it was. Uh, and he came and talked with us, and he said, you know, I know what you're trying to do, uh, you know, trying to help a marriage get together and going to separate services creates some, some difficulty, but you don't have the authority. Uh, your authority is to back up what Scripture commands, and there's no command there that they have to go to the same service. They're both coming to church. So you're, you're, you're exceeding the authority, uh, God-given authority. You're there to help support the Scripture, to, the people are living according to it, and you went beyond it. And I, I'm, I looked at the other pastor, and he's, he's right. So we went back to her and we said, please forgive us. We, we, we just wanted the two of you to be together if uh, there's repentance and forgiveness. And yeah, but there was other things going on. It needed some time. But that, that was a, uh, she tried to talk to us, but we thought she was just trying to get out from really taking steps to love her husband. And that really wasn't it. It was more than that. But that's where we had no we had no grounds for that kind of authority for that council. We just didn't have it. They were both coming to church. That was the command. So there's an example of we needed to be corrected. So that kind of provokes another question then. How do you distinguish between giving someone counsel and then holding an authoritarian position to somebody? So, I mean, you could still maybe assign homework or something and say, hey, I think it's a good idea that you need to... So where does it switch from maybe I think it's a good idea to here's my homework assignment, this is what you need to do if you're going to stay in counseling kind of a thing? Yeah, if uh, um, let's say the husband's not been loving his wife, I can command with all authority for him to love his wife like Christ loved the church four times. Three in Ephesians, once in Colossians. God says, you have to do this as a Christian husband. He goes, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that, how to love her sacrificially. And, you know, I could say, well, you know, you could text her during the day and tell her you love her. You could help around the house and doing some things. You could take date night. You could, you know, he goes, I don't like any of those. All right. So how are you going to love your wife sacrificially? He has to be a doer of it, not just hear a command. He, he must obey the command. So then he, could, then he would say, well, I guess I could text her, take her on a date night, help around the house. You don't let people off on the authority. The authority is with the commands. Uh, and, but if I said, now, I want you to read the book of Ephesians this week, like with all, he doesn't, he doesn't have to do that. I'm trying to help him grow. But what if he said, and I've had this, people say, well, you know, would it be okay if I read Colossians instead of Ephesians? Our small group's going through the book of Colossians that's talking about husband and wife. That's fine. I'm fine with that. 
So flex where you can, but be firm on the commands. They have to do what God says to do, but I'm flexible on how they might want to apply it. I can give suggestions that may help them, but they have to apply it. That makes sense. Yeah, Steve, would you do anything different on that? I just the authority is with the commands. Yeah, I guess uh, pick which which hill you're going to die on, and you're going to die on the authority of Scripture hill. Um, now there may be there may be a time where you talk to him and you say, "We've met eight times. You have done the homework I've asked zero times." So now I'm not confronting you about the fact that you wanted to read Colossians instead of Ephesians, but the fact that. I, I think you're wanting me to do something other than counsel you toward godliness. And maybe you're wanting me to you know, rubber stamp sin you would like to commit or something like that. Um, so if there's a pattern there, but, but absolutely, you're on, you're on their team. You're there to serve them. You're there to not dictate to them, um, which is one of the great things about Romans 15, 14, that you're, you're competent to instruct one another, that it's, it's church member to church member. That there's a there's a mutual accountability. There's no authority there. It's just the authority is the word, um, and that's you know people get scared when I end up involved. They oh no the principal's been called you know and instead of the the lower level, um, which I think is in a lot of ways more effective. Great. Uh, for non sin issues, how do you reconcile the need for right timing? and not letting the sun go down on our anger without sounding like nagging and causing additional conflict. Can you read that again, the first part? Uh, so for non-sin issues, how do you reconcile the need for right timing and approaching something with right time versus don't wait, don't let the sun go down? Um, for non-sin issues, that I would want to know what, what kinds of things are we talking about there. Uh, you know, I, a lot of ladies get a really bad rap of being nagging when it's really willful neglect and forgetfulness on the husband's part. And at some point, forgetfulness, and we all can be forgetful. So reminding, I mean, the Bible would be probably a third uh, as thick if we only needed to hear things once. There's so much repetition in, in here, parallel passages and et cetera. So we need reminding. We can be forgetful. Uh, Peter said, I write these things to stir you up to remembrance. You know, we're forgetful. But at some point, even on the non-sin issues, it's willful neglect. And that is a sin issue. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not listening to you or wanting to love you or care for you. That is a love issue. And I'm not living, I'm talking about a situation with a husband and wife where I'm not living with her in an understanding way at all. There's reminding, and then it gets to a place where it's willful neglect to listen and, and love properly. So where does it cross over? Is it three times? Is it four times? I don't know, but I think a person can be able to go, I've told you literally ten times about something that's way too much you know once or twice and then it's write a note to yourself if you need to set an alarm on your phone if you need to but don't say my wife's nagging me 
when it's my willful neglect and lack of love, if, if that's the situation. Just to add to that, I think I understand the, the question, anger at a non-sin issue, but you don't want to bring it up at 1130 at night. Yeah. Oh. Um, that, that, is that, yeah. I mean, I, I love what, what Stuart just said. If, I have, if I'm angry at a non-sin issue, that's my problem. That's, a, that's an issue I have. But I, I completely agree. Um, I, loved the, I loved the pie chart you put up, the 7%, 38 and 55%. I would say nagging falls in the 93%, but I would, uh, that, that usually it's tone of voice and it's presentation. But I would say this, too, to men who feel like it's somehow their God-given right to never be nagged or whatever you want to say about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hebrews 12.3 says, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That, you know, we might just say it this way, well, man up and sit and listen. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Mm-hmm. You won't die. No man has ever withered and died on the spot because his wife was, <laughs> w- was nagging him. And you know what? If you listen more, I'll bet a nickel she nags less <laughs> because you listen. But I, that is a stellar point that us as men, we, we just kind of, tend toward that well she's nagging me all the time but are you actually listening maybe she's tried every other avenue so she's going to raise the temperature a little bit and then you start quoting proverbs well a quarrelsome wife i'm going to go live on the roof Mm -hmm. how about a listening (laughs) listening husband so great point yeah thank you for that well it sounds like there needs to be a distinction between preferences and actual sin Mm -hmm. and it sounds like if it's a preferential issue and you can ignore it and it's fine then you should do that and if it's an issue of neglect then it's like crosses to sin, and you need to address it now. Yeah. So, just to ignore it if it's not sin, and address it if it is sin, kind of. And, and I would say if there's an issue that has to be really talked through, don't do it at night. Um, it's easy to sin when you're tired or sick, and if you're sick and tired. <laughs> but seriously, it, at night, everyone is at their their lowest energy, and it takes prayer. Self-awareness, right? Looking at the log in your own eye, um, and you keep pressing, and everyone's tired. You more easily sin. And at night, it's just better to say, "Listen, I love you." I mean, a husband to a wife, I love you. I know there's something between us. Let's pray uh, tomorrow. Let's plan this time where we'll sit down and we each can think it through, listen to each other, and work at resolving it. You keep pressing it at night, and you're talking divorce by 11, 12 at night. It, it's a little thing. It could have been resolved, but it's gotten really bad. And now we're going to call the pastor you know, at midnight. Come over here. Uh, you've had some of those. But it, it's just wisdom. Don't let the sun go down. Is Deal with it quickly, but it doesn't mean the sun's already went down. Just don't push it. Don't push it when someone else is really tired or has a migraine or not feeling well. Let's just, we'll, we'll deal with it another time, but assure your love for them. Great. Uh, this question says, does sorrow need to accompany repentance? Sometimes I repent to God from sin, but I don't feel devastated and there aren't any tears. Tears aren't required. There are people who 
hang their head and they're broken and contrite. That's what the Lord's looking for, right? A broken and contrite spirit. There might be tears. Some people have tears and they aren't broken and contrite. So I don't want to add where the scripture doesn't add there. There is a sorrow, right? There's a regret. I sinned against God. I may have sinned against someone else. There may be tears. There may not be tears. That's not part of the requirement in scripture. But there's a regret over sinning against God and a a desire to want to change and be more like Christ. That's what I'd be looking for. People handled things different ways. Um, But the sorrow should be there. It's in the words themselves. There are different words, Hebrew and Greek, that there's an emotion there. There's some sorrow. But how is it expressed? I wouldn't push that too far. I agree with that. And I appreciated your, uh, your thought that Emotion is a fairly new word mm-hmm. to us. Um, repentance without sorrow, in, in my mind, says that I haven't really thought about how I've offended God. Um, Psalm 51, David said, against you and you alone have I sinned. That's sorrow. Um, and I, don't, I think that goes beyond an emotion. Yeah, your emotions are involved, um, but there's an acknowledgement. I have offended a holy God by speaking a harsh word to my wife. And so that, if that doesn't create sorrow, I don't think that's repentance because it's a sorrow that makes you say, I don't want to do that again. Or I want to do it less frequently. Yeah. How many times do you continue to offer counseling to someone who keeps falling into the same sin without any signs of growth or progression? Well, there's a lot around that one. I mean, I, that's one of those situations that whoever wrote the question has someone in mind (laughs) and and it's like answering without the the data needed what's been done what kind of counseling's been done who's held the person accountable are they professing christian there's so many questions i'd be wanting to get answers to to know where are we going with this person uh, is the person a Christianized pagan? You know, um, they're not even a believer, or um, a so-called brother uh, that just needs intensive work to either show their fruit that they're not a believer, or they start to. This is how I change and grow, and they take root and grow. I don't know enough on that one, but intensive discipleship counseling should bear out what's going on in that person's life. So I, I'm, if they're continually in that cycle of sin and they're getting counseling, uh, they should be getting what's happening in that cycle. What, where's it breaking down? What's, what's missing? Are they trying to stop a habit? Are they trying to replace it? Are they trying to do it in their own strength? There's just a lot I would want to know before I would be able to give really solid counsel to that situation. Sure. Does there ever come a time where you think it's, it's, it is a waste of time, or would you, as many times as they come back, continue to try and help somebody? If it's a cycle of sin, it'd be church discipline. Uh, you don't let someone like that just keep in your congregation, and it, it's clear a violation of Scripture. Then just you bring one or two with you, 
pray and work with them. If there's no, they're not listening and responding, then you bring it before the church, and you're you're calling them to repentance to restore them if they're a believer. So if it's a sin issue, you don't let that go. So that that's a little different than someone who just says, "I'd just like to work a little on my communication," but um, or I'd just like to be a maybe a better husband. That's different than a clear violation of scripture and there's you know as a as a pastor and and um stewart has been in the pastorate you kind of categorize church members it's a little known secret about pastors here but there's a little category that the apostle paul in first thessalonians 5 just calls the weak those that just they're they're going to stumble and struggle all the way to heaven and they just are and the Apostle Paul just simply says, help the weak. And so yet there will be some people that you know about twice a year, they truly have repented, they have done some good work, and they've found yet another way to sin against the Lord. And it's like they find them all over the place. And without judging their heart, you don't sense a, you don't sense a rebellion, you don't sense a, a pushback, you just, they're just weak. And so you, you help them. Um, Stuart's exactly right, though. When, when there's a, a recalcitrance and a lack of repentance and, um, and pushing back, then at some point you say, this is, this is you. You're responsible for this. Um, so, that, you know, that's, that's where the prayer comes in. That's where asking the Lord for help. That's where saying, you know, you've come to me ten times and nothing's changed. It must be me. Let me give you to another church member who can maybe have more success with you. Um, so there, there's a lot of prayer there. Uh, you know, we, and I, I know Stuart would totally agree with this. We don't enter into church discipline easily mm-hmm. and quickly. That's, uh, that's something that's, that's well thought out. Um, but you'll always have the, the weak, the weaker brother, the weaker sister. So what do you do? You put your arm around them and you just help them and you get the mature and you match them up with the weak. Do you remember, uh, for some of you in my generation, when you were in elementary school, there was this big thing about pairing the really smart kids with the really dumb ones. That was like this big educational trend. Horrible in education, great in the church. Pair the mature with the weak and help, have them help one another. Um, but I, I think I, I loved what you just said. There might be some who just kind of want the attention. And so at that point, you have to call them out on that, mm-hmm. that you know, how can, why are you craving this attention? Why do you want to take up this time? I usually will say if they're not doing their work and applying it and they can, then I'm not meeting with you until you get it done. So when you, when you're serious about it, you're not going to be a professional counselee. Uh, just keep coming to talk and not get solutions. Uh, when you finish it, then you call me and I'll schedule a time to meet. So we have something to talk about, a solution to your issues. That's how I handle, if it's a non-sin kind of a thing, they just want to grow in an area. When you, you need to get serious about uh, growing in Christ. And I want to help you, but just sitting and talking about the same thing over and over again isn't really a, a help to you. It's not good stewardship of time uh, for God's glory. Let me just mention something else totally off the subject while you're, while you're all here. You're, you're here primarily to learn how to counsel one another. That very last page in your packet, 
that Dr. Scott just went through, that identifying the thought and going through all the way through Philippians 4, 4 through 9, that was worth the price of admission. Because if you do that, um, you're you're helping people on their way to thinking biblically and acting biblically. Uh, that alone, that was, that was amazing. That was tremendous. And, um, the, the chart a few pages earlier with the little clock that he went through, that's the entire basis of Stewart's book, uh, killing sin habits. And just to be really clear in the book, he says, you don't just, uh, you don't just stop bad habits. You have to, uh, vivify, bring to life new ones. And so the, those two tools, um, I know as you're going through the packet, it may be overwhelming. Skip to the last page, and if that's all you do, what a tremendous tool you're going to be walking people through. So I just wanted to make sure and get that plug in there. Had nothing to do with any questions. <laughs> uh, so that's the last of the written questions. We have time for one or two more out there? Yeah, they're still sitting here, so I okay. guess so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we can take a couple questions now. Um, we would prefer to have the questions be more generic instead of, uh, super specific into like a one case because then he has to follow up with a whole bunch of questions. That's if it's beneficial to the entire group, that'd be great. Uh, so, if, does anybody have any questions right now? It's like, what do you do if a husband won't? And you're sitting next to him. What do you do if a teen and they're sitting right with you? Don't do that. A great question. The uh, how would I change my approach if I was dealing with a thirteen or fourteen-year-old uh, student? Uh, I wouldn't change it a whole lot. It's biblical uh, principles, biblical commands. They're young adults around that age, or at least coming into young adulthood. Maybe not act like it, but they they're coming through that that uh, era there, the age. So I would uh, slow down if they're having trouble processing, but I, I wouldn't, um, may not give as much homework if they have a lot of homework every day and they need to, so I, I'd try to be sensitive there, but I'd be encouraging them, but I wouldn't change the commands or principles. And I, I would think the tools are applicable for them as well. Yeah. Good question. I agree. Any other questions? One of one of our one of the students in our uh, master's program is also a a teacher uh, of the twelve, thirteen, fourteen year olds, a Bible teacher, and um, they're they're she she's using all of that helping the girls that she's meeting with. Same thing, and uh, they they've surprised me as I'm looking over all of the reports of how well they're doing uh, overall. There are some that aren't, but some, boy, they put the time in. Um, it's very encouraging to see um, that they want help dealing with issues in their life. All right. 
All right. Let me uh, let me finish up with a couple things. Um, it's interesting how the Lord does this, and this was totally not planned. It just worked out this way. Um, tomorrow night, David Papillon is preaching to give me a little bit of a break, and he is preaching on prayers for sanctification from Psalm 139. Tomorrow morning, I am preaching on sanctifying the individuals in the church, how we sanctify one another. Um, we'll be going through Ephesians 5 and Titus 2, and um, that was the Lord's plan. That's very exciting to me because that means that he wants this church to dig deeply um, over the course of time. So I'm excited about that. Um, I, I, Dr. Scott is very humble, and I appreciate that, but he travels all over the world to do this. And we're blessed that we are how far from your house, like an hour and a half, yeah. something like that. So with that, would you give Dr. Scott a warm welcome? And thank you. Thank, thank you all. Thank you, Steve. It's, it's been an honor and a blessing to be here and serve you all. Uh, I, I'm just so thankful for this church and its, its stand for Christ and authority and sufficiency and um, the leadership that just wants to shepherd the people and see you all grow and uh, to honor the Lord. So it, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And welcome to all of you to the counseling ministry. So, <laughs> we have taken your names and photos and so forth. If you, if you would give me one moment, we'll close in prayer. Our Father, the, the best part about today is while we have enjoyed the, the practical information about how to instruct one another, how to help one another in our walk with the Lord, how to help one another to decrease sin and increase holiness, the best part of today, Lord, has been through the Scriptures drawing our thoughts and affections to our holy God to make us better worshipers, to motivate us to holiness, not out of a desire to keep a set of rules, but out of a desire to please a God who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to save us. And so we thank you for that, drawing us here today. Thank you for Stuart being here to minister to us, Lord, to give us a a fresh uh, perspective from a voice we don't get to hear very often. Thank you for all those who are here today, Lord, and we We trust that they will be responsible for this information and be now used of you. And we will not be surprised when you place counselees in our paths, even in this coming week. Lord, would you use the information given today to sanctify our own lives, to make us more holy, to confront ourselves, and then be able to walk alongside, to come alongside and and counsel others, Lord to disciple them, to walk this walk with them until that glorious day when we are made like Christ. But in the meantime, Lord, we we uh, rest on the promise from First uh, Timothy 4 that we looked at a couple weeks ago that our work at sanctification in this life has ramifications in the life to come. And so we, we thank you for that, Lord. Let this be a church that loves Christ so much that we want to act like him and that we are empowered by the Spirit and the Scriptures to do so. Thank you again for this day. Thank you for the privilege of having a wonderful guest speaker today, Lord, to pour into our lives. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming. You are dismissed.